It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Now time for another edition of Green and Gold History here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. Chris Townsend alongside our A's historian, Dave Feldman, who also works for MLB. He works for ESPN. He works for everybody, and he joins us as we're going through our top ten all-time today. Who are we looking at top ten? We are looking at the top ten left-handed starting pitchers in Oakland A's history. This is going to be very competitive because there have been a lot of good left-handed pitchers. Some who have been absolute stars, some who have brought home a lot of hardware, some who have brought home a lot of rings. Yeah, it's been a lot of guys. There's there's four guys at the top I think everyone can kind of guess, but from five to ten, everyone can have their favorites and different reasons for it, and I have reasons for mine, obviously. And Some guys we had to leave out, there just wasn't enough room on the list. Well, that's the bottom line. We always have to look at the alternates, the guys who could make the top ten. Who are the guys that just couldn't sneak in? So here's some honorable mentions for you. Uh, Dave Hamilton. Dave Hamilton was the fifth starter for the A's in the 72 to 74 years when it was a four-man rotation. It's tough to be the fifth starter in a four-man rotation. But Hamilton, when they needed him, was there. Uh, and he came back to the A's in 79 and 80, but just never really got the opportunity. Uh, Tim Conroy. Tim Conroy made his major league debut at age 18, two weeks after graduating high school for the 1978 A's. This is the same year as Mike Morgan at 18 making his debut. Uh, Conroy was able to work his way back and was part of the A's rotation in 82 and 85, a little left-handed fireballer. Again, you throw 95, 96 in high school in the mid-70s, no one was touching you. And that was the case with Tim Conroy. That's what Charlie Finley saw and thought, we're going to put him in the big leagues right now. That wasn't going to play in the big leagues, not as an 18-year-old throwing the ball straight. But good good job for Tim Conroy to work his way back. And, and you know, with Mike Morgan, I've heard him talk about this. Can you imagine going from your prom? You, gra- you go to prom, you graduate from high school. A couple weeks later, you're in the big leagues with grown men. Yeah, as an 18-year-old kid. Think about that. <laughs> People, you know, David Clyde with the Texas Rangers, number one pick in the draft. Right, same same story in the mid seventies. Gets out of high school, they they put him right into the starting rotation in front of this huge crowd in his hometown, and he's got to he's got to perform. You're 18 years old. You can barely buckle your belt by yourself when you're 18 years old. Unreal. I, I think about the culture shock going from high school to college to play ball, let alone going and forget minor leagues. You know, they put these kids like in low A. You sit you sit him right to the big leagues. Here you go, grown men at the plate going, I have that guy's poster on my wall. Uh, other honorable mentions, Bill Kruger was an A starter in the early 80s. Uh, his problem was he could not hold runners. A left-handed pitcher who had no move to first. 
So runners would just take off at any time. Had an okay career and then a long broadcasting career now with the Mariners and up in Washington. Ted Lilly, who came over in 2002 and 03, I, I always remember him in Game 3 of the ALDS in Boston in 2003. Here he is. He's just throwing the ball, getting outs. The A's defense is falling around behind him. Chavez made two errors in that game. Uh, we, that's, the pl- that's the game where Tejada gets thrown out at the plate for not dealing with the obstruction correctly. Eric Burns gets thrown out at the plate. Instead of touching the plate, he was more concerned with knocking Jason Veritek out. And there's Ted Lilly just on the mound, calm. The whole crowd's doing that Lilly chant. He's calm, just retiring, guys. I'll never forget that from Ted Lilly. Uh, Dana Evelyn, who was part of the A's rotation in the late aughts. And friend of the show, Travis Blackley, and who, who was huge in 2012, and none bigger than, as you mentioned just recently, in Game 161 of that year. Uh, Travis Black- Blackley, the A's do not make, they don't definitely do not win the division without the contributions of Travis Blackley down the stretch in 2012. Uh, a couple all names for you. How about Steve Wojciechowski, <laughs> Gorman Heimuller, John Henry Johnson, one of the best names for a pitcher, Josh Outman, and of course Lenny DiNardo. Could have been a good, good painter with that name. And then two guys I want to mention, uh, just great names. Uh, one, probably not thought of as, a, as an A's pitcher, but that was Tommy John. Tommy John finished the 85 season with the A's. He was 42 years old. Made 11 starts, went 2-6, and six, had an ERA over 6. His time had come, right? This was 42 years old. You had a great career. You had the surgery back in 75. You missed the whole season, but you pitched. You've been great. You know what? At the end of that year, he signs with the Yankees and pitches four more seasons, quality seasons for the Yankees. Retires at the age 46 with 288 wins. If someone should be in the Hall of Fame who's not, I'm starting to think Tommy John deserves to be there. I'm dead with you, and recently they did an interview with him, and he, he's pretty bitter about it, and I agree. I mean, you have 288 wins, but you have the surgery that has really changed the game like no other surgery may has ever changed a sport. I know knee injuries in football, but Tommy John has saved all of these pitchers, and he was the guy that had the surgery. You know, was he the best pitcher of his era? I mean, still, he won 288 games. Longevity, unbelievable. But I think you throw in the surgery. How does the Veterans Committee not put him in? Yeah, you got to. What his contribution to the game is huge. Uh, and like you said, to come back after the surgery, in your 30s, he came back with the Dodgers, had his best years of his career with the Dodgers and the Yankees in the late 70s, and still ends up pitching, again, until he's 46 years old, till 1989, he's still pitching in the big leagues, quality pitcher. Now, maybe his elbow was only 20 years old at that point, but still, 288 wins, there's nothing to laugh about there. That's He should be in the Hall of Fame. And the other guy who I think gets shortchanged by A's fans um, is John Lester. I think John Lester... They look back at his time here. We've talked about the Cespedes trade. We don't need to rehash that. But you think about what Lester did when he came over. For the last two months of the year, he made 11 starts. He went 6-4 and four with a 2.35 ERA. And he was quality. So he gets to start in the wild card game. He goes into the eighth inning. He starts the eighth inning with a 7-3 to three lead. He's, he's a starting pitcher pitching the eighth inning in a postseason game. You don't see that. So he's quality. Now he gets in a little trouble in the eighth inning. Right? He leaves with two guys on base. At that point, the score is 7-4. to four. Gregerson comes in. He allows those two runners to score. It's now 7-6. to six. So Lester still did his job. 
He's still left with the lead in the eighth inning. And we know the story. The A's go to the bottom of the ninth with the lead. Sean Doolittle can't hold it. Goes into extra innings. They score in the 12th. Alberto Cayaspo got the single. So, again, the A's are three outs away. They're actually two outs away because Otero gets the first out in that inning. They're two outs away. And, again, Otero, Abad, and then finally Hamill. They can't close the deal. So I think Lester gets a bad rap. I think he did his job that day, and he did that job for the A's coming down the stretch. It's, it's unfortunate the way it worked out, but I think A's fans have a sour taste when they think of John Lester. I don't think it should be that sour. Are you ready for the top ten? Let's do it. Number ten. Two more guys who just barely missed. Dallas Braden. And I know we love Dallas Braden. Dallas had one great day. He threw a perfect game. He didn't have a lot of other great days. And that's why he didn't make the list. He has a losing record with the A's. Uh, He didn't have a great uh, ERA. He had a great day. And the other guy, Scott Kazmier, who another guy who had a really fantastic season with the A's in 2014. He just missed. So who who does that leave us with at number 10? Another guy who threw a no-header, a guy who we hope to see more from, and that's Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya already coming in at number 10. He was acquired from the Royals in the Ben Zobris deal in July of 2015, and he joins the A's rotation in 2016. Uh, pretty good rookie year, 7-9, ERA just under 4. 2017, a little better, 12-10, ERA goes up, but you're starting to see him grow as a pitcher. And then last year, it looked like he put it all together. Right, 12 and 9 before he got hurt, 3.59. He had the no hitter. Um, it just you saw the improvement in him. He 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 lowered his walks. He learned how to pitch out of trouble. He used the big inning used to kill him earlier in his career. Uh, he, ate, he was able to minimize the damage. We hope to see Chamanaya back this year as part of this A's rotation and for the A's to make the postseason. I think they're going to need him. It's going to be that you know that late season addition. Uh, and taking those lessons that he's learned over the last three years, he could be a huge, huge factor for this A's rotation. We could see him. I know this is going to air this coming up here as we're, we're heading into August. We could see him in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think the plan at this point is probably two weeks into August he should be in this rotation. And you hope that he's effective. Um, I just liked in these last few years watching a guy learn how to pitch. He was so highly touted uh, really coming out. Um, when the Royals drafted him, but he had some injury problems, so he fell in the draft. But this he's got our world stuff, and we've seen it. We've seen flashes of it. I hope to see more flashes of it this year. Number nine. Number nine, Tommy Malone. Maybe a shocker, right? Maybe a shocker, but he was acquired in the Gio Gonzalez trade from Washington before the 2012 season. So in 2012, he goes 13-10 and 10 with a 3.74 ERA. Pitched in the playoffs, started game two against the Tigers. Pitched great. Six innings, one earned run. Comes back in 2013, another solid year, 12-9. and nine. ERA just over four. This is a one every five day left-handed starter who's getting the job done. In 2014, he's 6-3. The 3.55 ERA, he's pitching really well. The A's make the trade for John Lester. They need a spot on the roster. And poor Tommy Malone gets shipped off to the Twins for Sam Fold. And I remember when it happened, it was like, why are we getting rid of Tommy Malone? He's pitching well. And you look at his two and a half years with the A's, this is a really good pitcher. ERA just under three. He's a winner. Yeah, he wasn't a deep in the game guy, but a guy who always kept you in the game, especially through six innings. Uh, Tommy Malone, he checks in at number nine. He's probably a little underrated. Again, one of those guys that people might forget, but he deserves to be remembered. 
also a friend of the program. He was recently on Ace Cast Live. We love the friends of the program. I mean, Tommy Malone, you mentioned, if he doesn't leave here and he continues to pitch here, because it's kind of derailed for him, he won here. He was comfortable here. You wonder what his career would have been like. I think it would have been very consistent. I think he was a consistent starting pitcher in the major league, especially in this ballpark where he could use the dimensions and the foul territory to his advantage um, and just be the, the four or fifth guy in a rotation and consistently give you a chance to win. Number eight. Number eight is Kenny Rogers. The gambler. Kenny Rogers was acquired before the 98th season from the Yankees for Scott Brocious. And this was a time of transition for the A's, right? The championship years of the late 80s and the early 90s, they're gone now. Um, Tony La Russa's gone. Uh, there's Terry Steinbach's gone. McGuire gets traded in 97. There's really nothing left from that team. So 98, it's Art Howe. They do bring Ricky back. He's back as a free agent. Um, but it's really a, a transition year. And they bring in Kenny Rogers and Tom Candiotti to be part of the rotation. They needed veteran pitchers. And Kenny Rogers was fantastic in 98. 16-8, 3.17 ERA, seven complete games. Fantastic. 99, he's still having a good year. He's 5-3, 4.30, and the A's needed to make a trade. And they traded him to the Mets. And in exchange, they got Terrence Long, who ended up being your starting outfielder for, for four postseason appearances. So a very good trade. But here's what puts Kenny Rogers over the top for me. As an A's pitcher, starting at the Coliseum, he made 26 starts. His record, 15-0. and 0. He never lost a start. As a member of the A's at the Coliseum, 15 and 0, 2.81, and you could write it down. When Kenny pitched here, he was just nails. We talk about using the dimensions, and he knew how to pitch. And he would pitch to the big part of the ballpark. He used the foul territory. He was tra- a tremendous defensive player too. Talk about a, a fifth infielder. Kenny Rogers could field his position. So, and you think about his career. He goes on. He pitches until he was 43. He won five gold gloves, helped the Tigers to the 2006 World Series. A great career, but maybe gets forgotten in A's history, but those year and a half with the A's was a huge and 15-0 and at the Coliseum. That one year you talked about, 98, if you had those numbers in today's baseball, especially with the seven complete games, you'd be getting Cy Young Award votes. Yeah, it was, I was actually kind of shocked that he didn't get any kind of award looking at it. He wasn't thought about being an all-star or the Cy Young, but... Just tremendous, and you needed a veteran starter. Right? Him and Candiotti did exactly what the A's needed them to do as far as teaching their young pitchers at the time how to get better. And when Tim Cutson came up in 99, Kenny Rogers was still part of this team, and you've you got to believe that Kenny Rogers helped Tim Hudson become a major league pitcher. Next on the list, Gio Gonzalez checks in at number seven. Gio was acquired from the White Sox in December 2006, basically in the Nick Swisher trade. But before Gio had even made it to the major leagues, he had been traded now three times, right? White Sox to the Phillies, Phillies back to the White Sox, White Sox to the A's. Uh, You could say, well, people are getting rid of him. No, it's people wanted him. And he was part of something, you know, Jim Tomey is part of the trade that he's dealt with when he goes White Sox from Phillies to the White Sox. Uh, This guy coming up, they knew he was something special. Now, came up to the A's finally in 08 and 09, and he struggled. There were flashes, Right? Sometimes you saw that he was going to be all right. 2010, he puts it all together. 15 and 9, 3.23. 2011, he's an all star. 16 and 12 with a 3.12. 200 innings pitched each year. This is a legitimate starter. This guy is on his way to having a great career. 
Unfortunately, this is when he becomes arbitration eligible, and he is due for a huge raise, uh, basically about a $3 million raise, and the A's just did not want to pay him that money. Uh, going into the 2012 season, there wasn't a lot of expectations for that A's team, right? They didn't think they were going to be a playoff team going into 2012. So they make the trade with the Nationals, but they get Derek Norris. They get Tommy Malone, uh, A.J. Cole and Brad Peacock, who they would eventually spin off. But Gio goes off to have a tremendous career, wins 20 games with the Nationals, still pitching now with the Brewers. Uh, I think the A's might have been a little nearsighted when it came to Gio at that point, thinking that they were going to pay too much for him. I think he was going to be worth it. Now it turns out they still win in 2012, 13, 14 without him. But the time that Gia was here, we really saw a guy learn how to pitch and be an all-star and be a, a front-line starting pitcher, and that's what Gio became. Kind of a black cloud when you trade Trevor Cahill and, G- and Gio Gonzalez. I remember it was a bad time. It was bad. There was The expectations were low for this team, and the money, they didn't want to spend the money. Um, they just didn't feel the, the value was there for these guys. And I think... Uh, more so with 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 Gio than anybody, just to give up right there because he okay he's going to go to arbitration, he's going to make this money. We're not going to win. We don't need him. Let's see if we can spin him off and get more players. I just thought that was a little short sighted. Number six, number six, current member of the A's rotation, Brett Anderson. Now another big trade. He was acquired from the Diamondbacks with. Chris Carter, with Aaron Cunningham, with Dana Evelyn, with Carlos Gonzalez, with another left-handed starter, Greg Smith. It's a lot of guys in this trade. Thanks change for Dan Heron and Connor Robertson. Uh, and at age 21, he joins the rotation in 2009. And his career, pretty much derailed by injuries with the A's for the most part. But he pitched two of the most important games that I've seen a left-hander pitch for the A's, especially in the you know late 2000s, early 2010s. In 2009... As a rookie, he goes into Fenway Park. Well, what else is going on that night at Fenway? John Smoltz is making his Fenway debut for the Boston Red Sox. And it is Nomar Garcia Parra's return to Fenway as a member of the A's. So Fenway is electric that night, right? It's Nomar's returning, and they love Nomar. Place is on fire. All Brett Anderson does is pitch a two-hit shutout in Fenway Park, dealing at 97-98, throwing hard. First lefty to throw a shutout at Fenway in 13 years. Unreal. And then you saw what Brett Anderson could be. Now, 2010, 2011, he's having the elbow issues. Finally has to have Tommy John surgery. 2012, he comes back in August. Again, we're talking about this 2012 year, right? This magical season. He wins four straight starts down the stretch. He's a factor. He's helping the A's. Then he has this oblique issue. Mid-September, he's can't pitch. Doesn't pitch for the last three weeks of the season. The A's are in the playoffs now. They're down two games to the Tigers. And guess who's taking the ball for game three? Brett Anderson, who hasn't pitched for three weeks, is coming to take the ball. And all he does is pitch six shutout innings, allowing only two hits. Saved by a great catch by Coco Christ early in the game that really helped. But wow. And I don't know if, if you call this toughness or Brett Anderson or just that he has this I don't know what ability to shut everything out and just take them out and be a baseball pitcher. Uh, that's what it feels like. It just I don't think he feels that pressure when he's on the mound. And those two starts, uh, they're part of ace history. And then, of course, last year, right, he's, he's out of the game. He just happens to run into Billy Bean in a gym in Phoenix during spring training, and Billy goes, hey, Brett, what are you doing? Nothing. Yeah, you want to come pitch for it? Okay. And he ends up being a factor for the A's. And then this year, he's 9-6. and six. He's got a chance to really 
surpass his most wins in a season, which is 11 in 2009. He already had nine, maybe having his best season. Uh, Brett Anderson, unbelievably, number six on this list. All right, number five, the top five. Top five. This is one of my favorites. I know he's one of yours, and that's Kurt Young. Uh, Good friend of the program. You know, we love Kurt, and what a pitching coach. Look at what the San Francisco Giants are doing over there, uh, turning around this season. They're doing it with pitching. You know, all these games that they're playing, they're going in extra innings, and they're all 1-1 games or 2-2 because they don't give up many runs, and a lot of that is due to Kurt. And Kurt was a great pitching coach for the A's. As a pitcher for the A's, he... 81 draft pick out of Central Michigan, comes up in 1983, and I'll remember this, his first major league start was against Texas. And he got hit around a little bit, and Bill Rigney was doing the A's TV that night. And Bill Rigney kept saying he was too true. He's too true, meaning his ball was just right down the middle of the plate. He had to learn how to work the corners. And that's what he did. And by 86, he established himself in the rotation, 13-9 and in 86, 13-7 and in 87, He's 11 and 8. He's the fifth starter on that A's rotation in, in, in 88 and 89. 89, they win the World Series. Kurt didn't get a chance to pitch in the World Series, definitely because of the earthquake. There's a good chance he would have started game three because Bob Welch, who was supposed to start, was injured, and Kurt was told to get ready to warm up. And then the earthquake, we know the rest of the story. Here's a story you might not know. So the A's win the World Series at Candlestick, and we're in the locker room. I happen to be in the locker room as the celebration's going on. You know, it's a little muted because of the earthquake. It's not so much of the champagne, but they're still having a good time. And Michael Segaris is getting the A's pitchers together to take a pitcher. And he's got Stu. He's got Welch. He's got Mike Moore. He's got Storm Davis. He's got them all framed up. He's ready to go. And Stu stops him. And he starts looking around. He goes, where's Kurt? Where's Kurt? And there's Kurt just kind of going, Kurt, you're one of us. Get in here. Get in here. Stu making sure Kurt Young is in that photo. And that photo, you can see it. It's down in the Ace Clubhouse now, the five of them. And Kurt's got the biggest smile on his face. What a teammate that Kurt Young was. And what a good pitcher. A career with the A's, 65 and 51. He had 15 complete game, three shutouts. Just a, again, he's sort of what Tommy Malone would have been if he stayed with the A's. Just a consistent four or five starter who always gave you a chance to win. And I think the thing that his signature as a pitching coach, has always been his ability to mold young pitchers into great pitchers or into pitchers who could get you outs. Because not, not, not all pitching coaches do well with young guys. I think that's a great way to put it. He taught pitchers how to get outs. He used what the pitcher had, and he worked with them, with their stuff. He didn't try and change those pitchers. He used their strengths. And minimize their weaknesses. He's, you know, he's a really smart baseball guy. He sees things, and he's got that low-key kind of way about him. And you think he doesn't get fired up? Kurt Young gets fired up, and Kurt Young has a way to motivate these players and get the best out of them. And we saw it here in Oakland, and, and, and the Giants are seeing it now. All right, now we're getting to the top four, and this is there's a lot of hardware with this group. There's rings. There's Cy Youngs. The top four all-time left-handed pitchers in A's history here on Green and Gold, our history segment on A's cast powered by TuneIn. This is going to be very tough. Number four. Number four is Mark Mulder. Second overall pick in the 98 draft, and I remember this. Who who were the Phillies at the first pick, and who were they going to take? Were they going to take Mark Mulder or Pat Burrell? Because he was the other big name. He was the big offensive player, and as soon as they took Pat Burrell – 
The A's jumped on Mark Mulder, and I still remember Mark Mulder, after being drafted, comes out to the Coliseum, right? He's going to throw a bullpen, and he still hasn't signed. And this is very rare to see a pitcher come out before they sign, but he hadn't signed yet. He threw his bullpen, and Mike McFarlane, the A's catcher, caught him. Session gets done, and all of a sudden, Mike, we look over, and Mike McFarlane has a handful of pens, and he's going up to Billy Bean going, sign him now. Sign him right now. And he gave him all these pens to sign him. They knew they had something special. Made his debut in April 2000, replacing Ron Mayhay in the A's rotation. 2000, rookie year, he only goes 9-10 and 10 with a 5.44 ERA. ERA's inflated because two starts against the Yankees that year. He pitched five and a third innings and gave up 16 runs. For whatever reason, he could not pitch against the Yankees, which might have been a good thing because the A's faced the Yankees in the postseason in 2000. Mark Mulder was not available. Mark Mulder missed that postseason because he injured his back mid-September of that year. So no postseason in 2000. 2001, Mulder comes back. He's healthy, 21-8, and 3.45 ERA, four shutouts, including a one-hitter at Arizona right before the All-Star break where he faced only 28 batters. Just gave up a leadoff single to Danny Batista leading off the eight. Was as good as you've ever seen a guy pitch. Finished second in the Cy Young to Roger Clemens. And then goes ahead and defeats Clemens in game one of the ALDS. Proving his point that he might have deserved to be the Cy Young over Roger that year. Uh, 2002, 19-7. And again, he missed a month of that season with a left forearm strain. Still went 19-7 despite missing a month. Uh, 2003, now it's it's all coming together, right? He's 15 and nine, 3.13, nine complete games, including pitching three complete games in a row. Five out of six starts were complete games. Average time: two hours, 12 minutes. Oh. Ah. He had back-to-back starts against the White Sox facing Mark Burley. The first one goes an hour and 54 because they had to play the bottom of the ninth. The second one goes an hour 49 because they don't have to play the bottom of the ninth. Mulder beats him both times. Think about that. Hour 54, hour 49. Mulder would just get the ball and fire it and just go. There was no wasted motion. He knew what he wanted to throw. Him and Ramon Hernandez had a great chemistry, and they would just deal. Now, 2003, his season gets cut short again. He has a fracture in his leg. So he's not available for the postseason. Second time now. He does not pitch in the postseason. Um, and I remember with 2003, especially when it came to Game 5, there was all th- talk about, well, if the A's can get past the Red Sox, Mulder might be ready to pitch in the ALCS. He might be able to be there. Fortunately, we know what happened. Now, 2004, strange year. Mulder, in his first 26 starts, 17-4, and 3.72. He's Mark Mulder. He, you feel you're going to win every time he took them out. And then something happened. His so last seven starts... 0-4 with an ERA of 8.31. And no one could figure out what was wrong. Was it injury? He says he was fine. Uh, does he had a version of the pitcher yips? Just could not locate his breaking stuff. He was relying on his fastball and he was getting hit. No one really knows. You go down the last weekend of the year, the A's and Angels are tied going into the last weekend. So whoever wins two out of three is winning the division. And then Mark Mulder's got the game one start on Friday night. He only goes two innings, gives up four runs, puts the A's in the hole, and the A's end up getting killed that game. They blow the game on Saturday, and they lose the division. And a lot of it is because of Mulder's shortcomings that year for whatever happened. 
And it's just a mystery. And I remember talking to him when he was an A's broadcaster a few years back, and he still didn't have an answer for what happened at the end of 2004. We know at that point the A's traded him to the Cardinals in exchange for Derek Barton, Kiko Calera, Dan Heron. Dan Heron was very good for the A's. Uh, and Mulder had a good 2005 year with the Cardinals, but after that it was nothing but arm injuries and disappointment. So in a way, they, the A's got out when they could, which was made sense. But it's tough to think back to what could have been without the injuries and without the weirdness at the end of 2004. He so looked the part. Tall, handsome, great stuff. I mean, he, he had it all. All right, top three. So now we're looking at 70s guys versus the kid from USC who is number three? Number three is Ken Holtzman. Acquired from the Cubs for Rick Monday uh, before the 72 season. He had already thrown two no-hitters with the Cubs when the A's acquired him. He had been a major league pitcher for six years. And he was only 26 years old. One of those no-hitters, he didn't strike anybody out. Because Ken Holtzman, much like Mulder, was all about getting the ball and throwing it. He wanted the quickest, quickest games possible. You want fun stories? Ask Ray Fossey about catching Ken Holtzman. Just, let's go. And it was all fastballs. He didn't mess around with breaking balls. It was all fastballs. Let's go. He was just able to pinpoint control. 72, he goes 19 and 11. He's an all-star. 73, 21 and 13. 74, he wins 19 games with an ERA just over three. He's the game one starter in all three of those World Series. Game one starter is Ken Holtzman. He made seven World Series starts. The A's were 6-1 and one in those seven World Series starts. Guess what? He could also hit a little bit. In the 73 and 74 World Series, he goes four for seven, three doubles, and a home run, including game five against the Dodgers in 74. He opened the scoring. Ken Holtzman with the bat is making a difference. A couple big World uh, ALCS starts, right? 1973, game three. He pitches an 11-inning complete game. The A's win it 2-1 on a Burt Campanaris walk-off homer. In 75, when Catfish Hunter had already been gone, Ken Holtzman starts Game 1 and Game 3 of the ALCS. He started Game 3 on two days rest. Finally, started the 76 season. It's when Reggie wants to get out of Oakland. He's holding out the whole thing. They make a deal with Baltimore, and Ken Holtzman goes with Reggie to Baltimore A's get Don Baylor and Mike Torres, but it, it ended Holtzman's A's career, but what a career it was. I, I think sometimes he gets lost with, with how great Catfish was, but Ken Holtzman was right there. And he, again, game one starter in all three World Series. I remember interviewing him here recently, and he talked about when he first came up the pressure because he was being dubbed the next Sandy Koufax, the great Jewish left-hander. And, I mean, you really think about his career – and, well, you know, if you're going to win all those World Series, you got to have great pitchers. He was truly, and Fossey will tell you, he was an amazing big game pitcher. Big game pitcher and just, again, fastball, here you go, you try and hit it. And you've seen the highlights, kind of broad shoulder, again, very Mulder-like. Not quite as tall as Mark is, but the broad shoulders come right at you uh, and work fast. And you had to be on your toes. He almost threw a no-hitter here, and, he, and it should have been a no-hitter. Two outs in the ninth. Tom Verizer, it's a fly ball to center. And Billy North, I don't, I don't know what he was doing. He says he lost it in the sun. It looked like he just misjudged it. He was floating around. The ball drops. He was given a hit. Should have been third no-hitter for Ken Holtzman. Should have been. Just missed. Number two, is it Vida or is it Zito? Barry Zito is number two. 
the ninth pick of the 99 draft out of USC, which was his third college. Uh, but he made his major league debut in July, right? Just a year after he was drafted against the Angels. In the fifth inning of a game that the A's had the lead, the Angels load the bases with nobody out, and all Barry Zito does is strike out Mo Vaughn, Tim Salmon, and Garrett Anderson. And we think, I think we got something special here, boys. This guy, he's he's got nails on the mound. He's not rattled. Uh, 2000, he ends up going 7-4 and four with a 2.72 ERA and 14 starts. The A's are trailing in the ALDS to the Yankees, down two games to one. He gets the game four start at Yankee Stadium as a rookie against Roger Clemens. He wins the game. And, and you look back at Zito, he had some big postseason starts. Uh, the George, Jeremy Giambi slide game, right, game three here. Zito pitched it, eight innings, only two hits. He gave up a solo homer to Posada, cost him the game. Wins 2002 ALDS game three in Minnesota, he gets the win. Game two of 2003 here, which might have been the boringest postseason game I've ever seen because Zito was so good. The A's beat the Red Sox and, and Tim Wakefield 5-1, to one, and it was no contest because Zito was so good. And then think about 2006 and the ALDS. Game one in the Metrodome against Johan Santana. He only goes eight innings and gives up one run. This is big-time pitching from Barry Zito. The 2002 Cy Young Award winner, 23-5. and five. The 2.75 ERA uh, in his A's career, he had a winning percentage of over 600, an ERA of just over 3.5, a three-time All-Star. Part of that A's rotation from 2000 to 2006, and he comes back right in 2015. After being out a year of baseball, he decides he wants to go pitch in Nashville, be part of the music scene, and still pitch. And he actually gets to come back in the big leagues and make a couple starts in September. Uh, it's a great story, and very Zito. He's the number two left-handed starter in Oakland history. And then the guy who was a star of stars. I mean, he was on Time Magazine, for God's sakes. The great Vita Blue. Vita Blue is number one. Vita Blue was an A's pitcher from 69 to 77. Finished with 124 wins, second most in Oakland history, only to Catfish, who had 131. But he's the Oakland all-time leader in starts, complete games, shutouts, strikeouts. Three-time All-Star. Comes up in 1970 with his second cup of coffee. But, oh, throws a one-hit shutout of Kansas City. Right, Gives up his only hit with two outs in the eighth inning to Pat Kelly. Two starts later, gets his no-hitter against a Minnesota Twins team that has Carmen Killebrew on it and Tony Oliva. Great players. And then 71. AL MVP in Cy Young. 24-8. 1.82 ERA. Eight shutouts. He throws 312 innings. He made 39 starts. He completed 24 of them. And he struck out an Oakland record 301 strikeouts. 301. And then crowds on the road when Vita Blue pitched were 85% larger when Blue was a starting pitcher. Almost 13,000 fans per game more when Vita pitched. He was the all of baseball. He was the all started the All-Star game. Covers of the magazines. Vita Blue. Fantastic. Now, 72 happens, and that's when the holdout with Charlie, and it's kind of a lost year for him. But comes back, 73 is a 20-game winner, and now 22 wins in 75. A's teams are getting a little worse. He still gets 18 wins, 14 wins. Postseason, 1972, again, mostly out of the pen. He saves game five of the ALCS with four shutout innings, putting the A's in the World Series. 
And he saves game one of the World Series, pitching two and a third innings. So he gets a bad rap for his postseason because he never won a World Series game. But that was a pretty important save, game one, coming out of the pen. And in the 74 ALCS against Baltimore, two-hit shutout, beats Jim Palmer one to nothing. Vita Blue could step it up with the Blue Blazer. Probably the last of the A's, right? It's already coming into the 78 season. Vita Blue's still part of the A's, and everybody else is gone. Joe Rudy's gone. Campy's gone. Rich, they're all gone. So it's time to trade them, and they trade them to the Giants. And how good's Vita Blue? The A's get seven players in return for Vita Blue. It's a seven-for-one deal. Seven-for-one. That's how good Vita Blue was. And then Vita has a good career with the Giants, with the Royals, back to the Giants. It was a little off-the-field issue, but he came back from that. And he was actually set to rejoin the A's in 87. He was going to go to spring training with them. Something happened. We're still not sure what. And it didn't happen, but no one can take away what he did with the A's. Uh, Just, again, 124 wins, that 1971 season, the three world championships, the five division titles in a row. And it's, it's all about Vita Blue being part of that rotation. You know, recently we had Blue Moon and Vita on together. And... You know, talking to them, you know, you think about where they are in their life and the way they look out on this field and and the appreciation that all of these guys have that that the A's are going to keep this field. They're going to change the stadium, but they're going to keep the field because so much of of their greatness and and their lives were on this field. And it's just so much fun to talk to Vida because he's such a great man. He is. And, you know, he's part of the community. You know, it's with his time with the A's and his time with the Giants. He's part of the Bay Area sporting fabric. And I remember when I was younger going out at night in the city, and you'd always run into Vita Blue. And he was the nicest guy. He talked to everybody. People recognized him. And it wasn't it wasn't that's a superstar. It was one of us. Vita's one of us. And he's just, he's had a great career. He's having a great post-career. Uh, and he's really part of the fabric of this Oakland A's history. All right. Let's go down the top ten. Number ten. A's top left-handed starting pitchers, Sean Manaya. Number nine, Tommy Lone. Number eight, the gambler, Kenny Rogers. Number seven, Gio Gonzalez. Number six, Brett Anderson. Number five, Kurt Young. Number four, Mark Mulder. Number three, Ken Holtzman. Number two, Barry Zito. And number one, Vita Blue. Top left-handed starting pitchers all time for the Oakland Athletics. You have been listening to Green and Gold History with Chris Townsend and David Feldman right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 